Hello, this is Fred Callaghan, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name is Matt Boisclair and after the most predictable outcome of all time at Man City last weekend in the cup left all of us at Focus Towers in agreement that we just can't be asked to discuss it on a podcast. We're back to look ahead to this Saturday's match at home to Huddersfield with the Whites just four points behind second place West Bromwich Albion in the championship table. Before we do that, I caught up with Baldo this week to discuss the Fulham career of a former warrior of a centre forward of ours. Fulham. Right, as deadline day approaches at the end of this week, Baldo and I thought it would be appropriate to look back at the Fulham career of a man who joined us in the January transfer window and went on to have a very good spell with us. We're all hoping that given our current striker predicament that we have somebody of a similar mould to Brian McBride lined up to come in this week. So it's January 2004. Under Chris Coleman, Fulham were absolutely flying largely thanks to the form and goals of Louis Saha. Manchester United's heads were turned and once they declared their interest, Saha was in no doubt that he wanted to leave. And so how do you replace the irreplaceable, a man with incredible pace and ability? Well, we turned to an American striker who had previously had spells at Preston and Everton. Wasn't the most inspirational of signings at the time. Baldo, how did you feel when Fulham signed Brian McBride? Um, ever so slightly underwhelmed to to start with because, yeah, it was it, it's this... And just to an extent, it's still the case that Americans don't seem to get quite don't have a good reputation when it comes to when it comes to football. You know, they just get passed off as you no know, soccer sort of thing. So it's always a bit hesitant when you take on when you when you took on an American, even at, even at that stage. So, yeah, it's slightly underwhelmed, but um, he got off the mark. He got off the mark incredibly well. And and the rest was history. Yeah, I'm tr- I can't remember if I'd heard of him or not. When he first joined, obviously he had played in the in the Premier League before uh, for Everton. He'd scored yeah, a few goals. Yeah, um, I think I vaguely remembered him from from his Everton days. And it wasn't until sort of later on um, that I actually managed to twig the fact that I had heard of him before because um, uh, for when, when he played with uh, the USA in the 2002 World Cup, that's when I first yeah. noticed him. But he'd sort of gone off the radar as well because he was playing in America. And and funnily enough, I actually quite like I from that point I thought I quite like that player but of course he just went off the radar a bit so so I wasn't able to keep track of him well he was a very very different type of player to uh, to Louis Saha um but he did come in and start scoring goals he he made his debut on the 31st of January 2004 16 years ago so it seems like only yesterday I remember being sat at the side at Loftus Road at the end where he scored that and against Spurs he'd signed from Columbus crew a few days before um, he'd only been on the pitch for eight minutes, replacing Barry Hales. Um, I remember it being about three yards out and he just kind of swung a leg at it from under the crossbar. Um, but it turned out to be the, the winning goal. and Not a bad way to make your entrance, even if it was at Loftus Road. 
Exactly, yeah, because um, I remember having this chat with a Spurs fan a couple of years ago about him. His first goal in English, his first goal for Everton was against Spurs. I think it was the winner. And his first goal for Fulham was against Spurs, and it was the winner. So it's a, yeah. so he's uh, so it's a bit lucky in that sense. But yeah, it was a bit of a goal mouth scramble. He was just there to poke it in, but it was a scrappy goal. You know, he was a bit of a, a scrappy physical player. So it, it sort of encapsulated exactly what we should have been expecting from him. You say scrappy physical player, I'd say warrior. I just remember those pictures from the World Cup where he had a cut on his face and he yeah. just still carried on. It just nothing seemed to phase him, did it? Yeah, but scrappy physical warrior. Let's put them all. Let's put them all in together. <laughs> yeah. Every every tough every word you want to use for tough, gritty, determined. Just bundle them all in, and you have Brian Pride. That encapsulates yeah. him perfectly. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, so that season kind of petered out. He's got he scored a few goals that season and um, endeared himself to the supporters, I suppose. But um, in the season that was to become our great escape season, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, nothing epitomise the guy more than um, than when he went off injured against Middlesbrough. He kind of twisted his knee, got his foot stuck in the turf and he scored. Um, carried off on, on the stretcher and everyone's singing his name and he, he still managed to clap everybody as he was on the stretcher. Um, he was out for a number of months. I think he must have come back in, in, in around the February. So I guess about five months or so he missed it that season. Uh, but his, t- his comeback was timely in the end and coincided with a massive turnaround in, in form for us. We've been absolutely shocking that season. Sanchez had been booted out. Signings like Hangeland and the return from injury of Jimmy Bullard also helped, not to mention the appointment of Roy Hodgson. Um, but I'd say McBride's return was a key part of that revival and, and some of his goals were just integral to, to surviving that season, weren't they? Yeah, it was ab- absolutely. That was absolutely the case, and uh, I, I don't want to say funny story, but a bit of a story about the Brian Brad injury. I didn't know what had happened because I was on holiday in Dubai at the time. So nice. all I, all, exactly. So all I knew was I managed to get a newspaper. I forget what it was. And it just had the Premier League results on it. It just said, you know, Fulham won, Middlesbrough two. Brian McBride scored in like the twenty seventh minute. That's all I heard. That's all I knew of it because this is the days for you youngsters this was in 2007 this was before internet in internet in a hotel was sort of standard and before wi-fi was a you know a vastly available thing so i didn't know about any of this until i came back to england um about two about a week and a half later uh the day before we played the spurs game so i this was all sort of new to me. I didn't know that he'd been injured. So when we played Spurs, it was the Diamante Kamara overhead kick game. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Someone had someone had to explain to me, you know, how we're going to deal without McBride. I was like, what do you mean deal without McBride? Oh, did you not know? And so it was only then when I, I did I find out that he'd actually got injured. And it, you no, know, I'm kind of glad in a way that I wasn't there. Otherwise, I just would have been overcome with emotion because I loved him so much when he got injured. But yeah, as you were saying, the turnaround in form, it sort of, it did coincide perfectly because the game he came back was the Aston Villa game 2-1. Uh, David, Davis and Bullard, Bullard with the free kick. But yeah. you can just sense that... And it was perfect timing as well because he was just about to come on when we conceded the goal against Aston Villa, it may have been an Aaron Hughes own goal, and it was an own goal. That's all. That's much I remember. So it just perfectly comes. That was our lowest ebb sort of of that season. Then he comes back, and it kickstarts the revival. So I don't want to say it's a big coincidence, but you can just tell there's something about the leadership and the commitment and the passion that he brought was key to everything. If he'd have come back a week earlier, maybe results would have kicked in a week earlier. If he'd have come back 
you know, two weeks later, results probably wouldn't have kicked in for another two weeks. It just he we just needed a leader and we needed a fighting spirit that season. And he came back at the perfect time for that. Yeah, he did. I'm just trying to remember some of the goals that he scored. I remember remember Reading away, scored the first one uh, in Reading away. But that Birmingham one, that was the one. I remember I was, I was yeah. away for that, but watched it watching it on TV in, um, in the States. I was away with work and just watching it in some bar first thing in the morning. And um, when the, I, I, I might have said this before on one of the other chats that we did. It might have been the Mike Taylor one because he scored past Mike Taylor that um, yeah. I just ended I ended up on the other side of the bar when he scored. <laughs> it's just yeah. ridiculous. I think I ended up about two rows down Hammersmith then when he scored as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, another another key one, an absolutely crucial one, was the winner against Everton. Um, I remember it was the fifteenth yes. of March. It was, the, it was the day it was the day after my sixteenth birthday, so I remember it. I remember it very very fondly. Um, again, that was just one of those crucial games that we needed to grind out a result and I think it was a Simon Davis cross on the left hand side took a slight deflection McBride was there to just bury it past uh, it deflected right to where he was standing so I remember he didn't have to move he just had to flick his head at it didn't he exactly it was, yeah. yeah yeah I know yeah exactly it was absolutely glorious and again couldn't have been timed more perfectly because again it was a stage in the game where you're thinking are we going to be able to get something out of this and then up he, up, uh, up he pops Try to get yeah. tongue tied there. Yeah, but I, I remember that goal as well because he he kind of stood there, the ball landed on his head, he stuck it away, and then he didn't move. He just put his hand up in the air to celebrate. It was just yeah. it was really weird. But yeah, you're right. That that was um, that was a, a really really important one. Um, he left Fulham after that season, and I remember I remember being in the away end at Fratton Park, singing one more year to Brian McBride, and he was stood in front of us lapping it up. But then, then he did end up leaving. Um, and he went back to his native to sign for Chicago Fire. I, I think that was for family reasons, because I, I really feel like he could still have done a, a decent job for us in, at, that, at that level. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. And this was something that I, so I sort of had an idea about. Um, a couple of years later, I sort of read a story somewhere about, you know, why did Brian McBride leave us? Or, or he explained something. And he, I sort of read slightly that he'd left basically for his children because of his education. And then when he did the McBride um, opening of the McBride's bar uh, back in 2017, he sort of explained the story. And I was, and I nearly cried when I heard, when I heard him say, because that again, just encapsulates the man so, so much that, you know, not just a great player, but a great human being. The fact that he was willing to put, because I can't imagine he would have been, no, Premier League wages to MLS wages. I can't imagine they'd have been the same. Having to uproot everything, but it was for his kids' education. It was. It was. I remember him saying, "The way that the American uh, education system is structured, the English one, it was basically now or five years time." And he didn't want to move them five years time, so he had to move. So the fact that he moved back to, for for his kids was just, yeah. you know, heart, you know, plucked at your heartstrings. That story did. Yeah. And and again, it's just a great example of what a what a man he is. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good story. I wish I'd gone to that actually. I don't know why I didn't. I knew I knew it was happening, and I just never got around to getting a ticket. And then it just kind of it passed me by. I'm really disappointed I didn't go. So I, I love stuff like that. Um, you wanted to talk about strike partners. Um, he had a few in his time at Fulham, didn't he? Radzinski, Collins, John, Heider Helgerson. Which which one did you think was the most effective? Um, Heider Helgerson, because the season that really 
got me because because anyone who knows me and I'll admit and I'll admit this because I'm open about it knows that I have I haven't been a Fulham fan for life. I was a Manchester United fan growing up in Surrey. That's kind of the thing you do, and I sort of had to transition to Fulham over the years. But the season that made me fall in love with Fulham was the 2005-2006 season because that was the year I think we won like 13 games at home. It was the year we beat Chelsea, and that partnership between him and Heide Helgson to because they're not big, neither of them are big guys. I think they're like six foot, you know, six foot, six foot one, six foot two. They're not big physical, you know, like big physical, like like Peter Crouch centre forward, six foot seven sort of thing. They're diminutive for their for their size and their role. But the way they played together was just glorious to watch. Both two, you know, battlers, warriors, whatever word you want to use. Up, no, up together, winning headers, competing, tackling, every, they did everything together. And if there's one clip that really encapsulates it, go back and find it. It's on the, it'll be on the season review. It might be on YouTube. It's, find it somewhere. It was against West Brom, the game we won 6-1. And I think it was the first goal. Anthony Amy just boots it up, up the field. Brian McBride wins the header, flicks it on for, for Heide Helgson to come um, to come steaming through and score the first goal. That just encapsulated what that partnership was, their understanding of each other. It, it was just great to watch. It was great to watch that season. Anyone, who, again, who knows me knows that I like you know, physical football. I'm not into this, you know, passing and possession game. I won the ball up the field, big centre forward winning their header to flick on for the striker. And again, that season, just the two of them playing together was just a joy to watch. And I think there are two top goal scorers I've seen. So it obviously produced results as well. So I could go on about Brian McBride for, and anything around him for hours. So I, I know I have to go, I've got to keep the show because I know we're only on a sort of 20 minute schedule. So I'll try to keep, I try to keep as much as I can. It's interesting you say that about Helgerson because they, they both have plenty of goals in them, but on paper, I suppose McBride and Radzinski should have worked a bit better because McBride wins a lot in the air and then you had somebody completely the polar opposite in Radzinski pace. All right, he couldn't finish, but, um, you know, a completely different sort of player. Whereas Helgson and McBride were very similar, yet it seemed to work. Yeah, exactly. And going back, you know, Brian McBride and Collins John should have worked, except Collins John couldn't keep himself on side, despite having all the pace in the world. Again, McBride and Radzinski should have worked. Uh, Helgerson and Radzinski should have worked. But for some reason, it didn't. And that season, McBride and Helgerson were just the perfect partnership up top together. it, it, It worked just because of sheer bloody hard work. Yeah, exactly. It, it's you know, it's the thing. Hard work beats talent when talent is enough, sort of thing. That, that's another phrase that you can that you can attribute to them, and McBride in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So, what was your what would you say your favourite Brian McBride moment in a Fulham shirt was then? Um, because and let's, let's be honest, his his time with the club wasn't the 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 greatest in the club's history, was it? We were in the Premier League, but we were just kind of plodding along. Really, exactly. In the Premier League weren't really going anywhere. Exactly, and you know this is the, this is the point I made on social media, and I made it, and I've made it in the group, and I'll, I'll say it again because I feel it needs to be said. Where people are comparing Brian McBride to Alexander Mitrovic, and you know the cult status that they're both getting, and I just think it's a bit of an unfair fight because Brian McBride, for basically the whole of his time at Fulham, was playing with a struggling, you know, bottom, not bottom, yeah, yeah well, bottom of the table for one year, uh, mid to bottom table, bottom of the table, Premier League side, struggling, not exactly any good, let's let's face mm. it. Alexandra Mitrovic has had, you know, 
the majority of his time is in the championship and was the main man in a struggling Premier League side, whereas Brian McBride had to share the duties with Helgerson, Andy Cole to an extent, Thomas Radzinski, Collins John, whereas, whereas Mitrovic is the main man. So so all the numbers about his goals and everything gets distorted because of that. But I th- if he'd have come to us, you know, and again, we signed him when he was 33, I think it was. If he'd have come to us when he was a little bit, if he was a little bit younger, I feel he'd have got plenty more goals. And if you know, imagine him on the side with, you know, the play. Imagine him and Louis Saha up top together. That there's there's a partnership for you. If we'd have brought him now, earlier, that's a really good point because I remember seeing a, an interview with Chris Coleman once um, when he said he wanted them both and he wanted them to play together. But obviously Saha wanted to go to Manchester United, so it wasn't a replacement as such. But they were bought. He was bought to play with him. And you're right. That that would have been an, an incredible. Strike force. They they would have worked so well together. Again, long ball up, McBride flicks it onto Saha, and Saha had a great cross of the ball. You know he'd have been able to find Brian McBride in the box. So mm. a little bit of shame, again, a little bit of shame with that. But again, all these things that sort of he could have been so it was great what we saw of him, but we just got him a little bit too late and the circumstances weren't the greatest. I think that sort of holds him back. But you, you asked the question. I sort of went off on a tangent here. Favorite moment? It's obviously. I think most people would say the would say the header against Birmingham, just because that was again when we thought the great escape. That's when it was doable. But personally, for me, and we selected it as the Fulham goal of the week, uh, Fulham focus goal of the week, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was his header against. It was his header against Aston Villa. I think it was his only one of the game, uh, his only goal of the game. But yeah. Um, Lewis Beaumorte lifts it towards the back post. He's unmarked and he just loops it over the Aston Villa goalkeeper. And again, it was just, I remember being in line with that, with that header and just seeing it loop over the goalkeepers. It was just glorious. It was just glorious to watch. So a bit of an, you know, un, a, a lesser known moment, shall we say. But for me, that was my, that was my favourite. All right, mate. Uh, I'm trying to think what my favourite was. And yeah, of course, the, the Birmingham one um, is definitely up there. I remember him, it was it was a nothing game at the end of his first season, and we won away at Bolton two 0 and he scored both goals when we were playing in that black and red kit. Um, yeah. And I didn't expect us to get anything from that game, and, and we did. And um, that that was up there for me, the fact that he scored a couple of goals, and we just we, we were just completely in control of Bolton that day. And not that that's anything these days, because Bolton looked like they're heading down to League Two. But anyway, I digress. Okay, so the. I'm going to ask you what what your favourite Brian McBride Fulham goal was. That that last one was the moment. Like, I'm, but and when I ask you about the goal, I mean, I guess you know, in terms of quality. Um, let's see. In terms of actual quality, um, here's again here's one that sort of gets that passes everyone by. Um, it was a way. It was it was in that first season. It was a way of Portsmouth. Actually, no. I'll take no. I'll I'll take I'll take that back. It was his second season. It was a way at Nottingham Forest. In the Carling Cup, I think it was. I, I think it was at that point, and yeah. it was a, it was a, similar to his um, uh, similar to his first goal against Spurs, where he was a little bit scrappy. I can't remember. I can't remember the build up to it, but I remember the finish to it. And basically, he's I think he's been dragged down by a defender, and the ball is on the ground. The goalkeeper's rushed out to try and to try and gather the ball, and him what basically whilst on the ground and whilst fighting the defender. He's basically on his side and he manages to flick a leg to it and get it into the net before, you know, sort of mm. underneath the on-rushing keeper. I remember that again. Someone, 
Fulham did a montage of all of his goals. I think when he was co- I think when he was coming back to do the talk with Brian McBride the first time round, the but it got called off because the because the the game got snowed off. So someone try and find that out because I'm sure it's on there. And again, it's another great example of his never give up hard working attitude that even in that sort of situation he's got the awareness to be able to know where the where, know where the ball is know where the goal is and stick it in see this is why i love doing these with you because nobody else in the full and focus team would have picked a random carling cup game away at nottingham forest i was there by the way it's bloody freezing um and i took my girlfriend at the time as well and she was absolutely delighted to, to be there because it went to extra time as well didn't it but yeah, no, nobody else, nobody else would choose a, a nothing game, and and I I love that because that's what these are about. It's like you know invoking old memories that you kind of buried to to you know the, the back of your mind almost. Yeah, exactly. And with these chats, I sort of want to uh, disclose something to the uh, to, to the listeners out there. Basically, with Uh-oh. these chats, French, no, 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 no nothing <laughs> in trouble. Frenchy will basically put out a, a notification in the group, and he'll say, you know, we're playing Hull this week. Uh, Jimmy Bullard played for both clubs, so we're doing a focus on him. Does anyone want to? Does anyone want to join me? And it usually takes about an hour, and then Frenchie will say again, "Does anyone want to? Anyone want to chat about Bullard?" And basically, we're sort of hesitant to do it. I don't know why. Maybe it's scheduling. Maybe it's because we can't be bothered. I don't know. But with this one, <laughs> was slightly different. Frenchie just said, "We're playing. Uh, we're playing." Uh, Huddersfield, Huddersfield this week. It's the end of the January transfer window. We need another striker. We signed McBride in January. Baldwin, you're doing this one. Because <laughs> yeah. every, everyone who everyone who knows me knows how much I love Brian McBride. And I just, I just thought it was funny the yeah. way the, the way that the way this all went down is just no, no messing around, no asking. Yeah. Baldwin, it's you. Yeah, I like, only one I like candidate. Fact, yeah, I like the fact that I'm sort of known as. I, I wish I was known amongst the wider Fulham fan base, but basically as Brian McBride's number one fan, that's sort of what I want to go down in Fulham history as is the Matt. You no, know, when you want to talk to someone about Brian McBride at Fulham, you come to me. I quite like that idea. Yeah, definitely. Going back to his goals, I am going to pick an, another random one. Actually, I think it was FA Cup away at, um, at West Ham. And I haven't seen this goal for ages, but I think it kind of dropped over his shoulder and he didn't even look. He just swung a left boot at it and volleyed it into the bottom corner. And I think we feel like we won that one 3-0, but it was when West Ham were in the in Championship or Division 1 or whatever it was at the time. Remember that goal? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I know what you mean. FA, it was FA Cup as a replay yeah. uh, as well. Yeah, and I think it was one of the maybe two goals that he ever scored from outside the box for us. The other one, which I was going to go with earlier, was um, Portsmouth away at the end of his first season. Both out, both outside the box, both with his uh, both with his left foot. So mm-hmm. a bit of a... Uh, so, yeah, but I do remember the goal. That was absolutely very, a very, very well-taken goal. There you go. All right, we're going to... You've mentioned this already, but McBride's bar. Now, I, this might be quite controversial, for me, he was a great player for us, um, but it's always felt like a little bit of a gimmick uh, to appeal to the US market. There's plenty of other players who could probably be probably be recognised within the walls of our stadium before him. What are your thoughts? Maybe I'm asking this to the wrong person as Brian McBride's biggest fan, but go on. Um, no, I sort of get I sort of get the point. And I remember in the Q and A, he was asked, you know, if you could, if you know, you've got your own bar, if there's anyone else that you'd like to have a bar renamed after you, who would it be? And I think his answer was Chris Coleman. And and it's the right answer. I think 
Brian McBride for what he did for us, and you you say pandering to the pandering to the U.S. market. I think that I think there's some argument there. I you know I will admit, I don't have a problem with him having a bar, but yeah. for him to be the first, I just thought was a little bit weird. Like mm. you could name the likes of players who should. You could argue like Sean Davis should have had should have a bar named after him. You could argue Simon Jimmy Morgan. Hill. Simon Morgan, yes. Um, Jimmy Hill should have something named after him, even if it's a bar, if it's a stand, if it's a walkway. Something should be named after him. I think Brian McBride came before the George Cohen statue. Um, Alfaya doesn't have anything uh, named after him yet. I'm sure something will. The, the, no, the list goes on. I Hang don't up. have a problem. I, I, the, yeah, exactly. The list goes on. I don't have a problem with him having a, a bar, but I just think for him to be the first person to have it was slight was slightly off. Um, yeah, that that's my view of it. He deserves it, but he shouldn't have been the first. If there's any Americans out there, which I'm sure um, there will be, because we're talking about my bride, it's a bit like the Mariana Rivera uh, unanimous Hall of Fame. Yes, he deserves to be the first, he deserves to be unanimously put in, but for him to be the first, it just it, it's just a little bit weird that it took so long for that to happen. It's the same with McBride. The fact that the first bar we had named after us was after McBride. He deserves it, but he just shouldn't have been the first. I'm not even going to pretend that I understand your reference, but let's go with it anyway. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there. Far some, more some people will, and that's all that matters. Yes, quite. He was player of the year in successive seasons in 2006 and 2007. Also our captain. Was he a good captain? Um... I'd say yes. We didn't have much of a chance to see it because that was during his injury season. Um, but yeah, it goes back to yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier and the fact that it coincided with the Great Escape. We needed a leader in that season, and Aaron Hughes did a fine job standing in. But I just think what he wore, what he brings to the team, and what he could offer, and I just there was there was definitely something missing that season, and Brian McBride absolutely delivered it. So the fact that he would, the fact that he came in, um, and I and again I think the club put up a video, you know, the whole Q and A of you know when of the Brian McBride's bar when it was opened. He he tells some great stories in there about that relegation season, and that and again I can't I can't do it justice. Go back and watch that. He, give some amazing stories about, you know, the struggles that the team was going with and what he brought to the team. So I can't do it justice. Go back and go back and watch that because he just, again, encapsulates it perfectly. What, again, what he brought to the team when we needed it most. Great stuff, mate. Cheers. All right. Uh, 178 games in the Premier League for Fulham. 41 goals. Rate Brian McBride's Fulham career out of 10. Um... It's a nine for me. Um, I, again, I'm probably biased because of you know, I because I love him so much. Um, I think he gets he gets knocked down mainly because I again I just don't think he scored enough goals. But I don't think any of that is his fault because he had to share time with the likes of Andy Cole and Helgerson and John and Radzinski and the injury. I think that's that was really the that was really the only thing missing from his game is that he could have got a got a couple more goals. But get a part of that I put down to the age that we signed him in. Uh, we signed him out rather. Um yeah. But other than that, there's no you know the phrase I, I would go to war with this guy. There is no Fulham player in 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 my conscious lifetime 
that I would rather go to war with than Brian McBride because he was just what he brought, yeah, you know, what he brought off the pitch and on it was just everything that you want a Fulham player to be, personally. Yeah, nicely put, nicely put. I think um, I've done quite a few of these now. Um, a lot of them have been my favourite players over the years. Um, and I've marked them at nines and tens. And I'm going to have to be a little bit harsher with McBride just because the time that he was here, I don't really associate with any overly fond memories other than that season of the great escape. Um, but that being said, there's not many centre forwards that I've seen play for Fulham that I'd, I'd put in the team ahead of him. So I think I'm going to go with an eight, um, which is still a still a really good score. Um but I guess just in comparison to some of the other players that I've I've given higher marks to, I, I just loved more. Um, but that's not to say that I, I don't love Brian McBride as well. So there we go. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 have no, I, have no, I have no problem with an eight. I, I was always going to mark higher just because mm. just because I love him so much. I thought you would have gone with a ten, to be honest. I, I people would have expected a ten, so that's why I went with a nine. I would give a ten, but I feel like I can't. Expect the unexpected with Baldo. That's what yeah. they teach you on your first day. Good stuff, mate. All right, thanks for that. That's good. Fulham. Before we look ahead to Saturday, there is a small matter at the end of the January transfer window, which closes on Friday evening. So we're going to have a roundup of who we're linked with and what could possibly happen before Sky Sports announced that the window has slammed shut. Joining me to do this firstly is a man who is not only a Fulham fan, but also a Coldplay fan. You can argue both are odd choices, but if you're feeling the January blues at the moment, then his voice will definitely fix you. It's Will Oakley. Hello, mate. Hi, mate. Happy to be here. Also joining me is a man who I job share hosting this show with. His favourite band is the Teskey Brothers, who I'd never heard of until he recommended them to me about a year ago. There's no silly comment to make this time other than to say, go and check them out. They're great. It's Mrs. Max's little boy. It's J-Mac. Good evening, my friend. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well, mate. You went to see the Teskey Brothers the other day, didn't you? Yeah, it was so good. It was at the O2 uh, Shepherd's Bush. Like, a bit too oh. close to Loftus Road, that, but it was wicked. <laughs> see, we're not only here to talk about Fulham, but we're here to teach you stuff as well about music and all sorts of, all sorts of culture. Anyway, yeah. let's move on. Fulham. All right, lads, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it over to you two, first of all, to talk about who we've been linked with. As I said, the, uh, the window does slam shut on Friday evening. We're bound to do some business. So what have you found for us, J-Mac? I mean, it's been quite quiet all on the Western Front, really. But, I mean, in the last few hours, we've seen a link of uh, Diego Jota. Um, not Jota from Wolves, obviously, that would be too good. This is the, the Jota who was at Brentford and then went to Birmingham City and then went to Aston Villa. Um, I think we've been linked with him in the past before. He is a very good uh, right-hand-sided midfielder who likes to cut in, quite similar to Knockout, which makes me worry that potentially uh, Knockout's injury could be bad with his hamstring, or we just need another reinforcement, which means AK-47 can become a, a full-time substitute as a striker rather than the right winger. But very good player, plays on the right, can play in the middle of the park as well. Some people are potentially questioning he might be a filler there for Kearney in as a sort of creative midfield role. But no, Diego Jota is what I'm hearing at the moment. I'm not sure what everyone else thinks. What about you, Will? Um, yeah, like you say, it's been quite quiet, but player we've been linked with and people have been kind of talking about on Twitter and other social media has been Glenn Murray. 
But for me, it's a player I definitely don't want to sign. I mean, he he's a he's a good goal scorer, but I think he's a bit past his time and I feel like his attitude towards playing as well. I remember when we were um uh, 2-0 down to Brighton and he's at the cottage and he scored the two goals. He went and celebrated right in front of our fans. I just don't think it's the right way to go about it. I'm, I'm not a fan of his, to be honest. But if we were to kind of bring in a player, I'd like to see maybe a right-back be brought in. Um, James Justin from Leicester, who was at Luton before, maybe at end of the season loan, I think would be quite a good sign-in. Uh, he's he's a young English fullback and he was at Luton, so he understands the uh, the style of the championship. Uh, he's a young English fullback, and I think he'd be good to strengthen the Fulham defence. Or if we to were to go for someone maybe abroad, uh, Yusuf Sabali, who we were linked with last January on transfer deadline day, would be a good signing to strengthen the fullback position. And I think we would sign him permanently rather than on loan, or at least with an option to buy. But like you say, it's been quite quiet and there's not really been many strong, certain links yet. Well, what we what we have done already is we've made uh, Cavalero and we've made Bobby Reed both permanent deals. They they were both made last week, which does, of course, free up a couple of loan spaces in the squad. So there is potential to maybe bring a couple of players in. Um, J-Mac, what, what are you thinking? What, what position do we really need to strengthen in before Friday if we're going to really um, cement our place and, and chase and chase those top two? Well, I was thinking a striker originally, and, you know, Glenn Murray is a, a classic rumour. I mean, I've got a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. I think everyone has this friend that has heard that we are definitely looking at the striker department. But now you've seen AK-47 returning from injury today on the social media and Mitro on his way soon as well. And if Diego Jota is true, then maybe we don't necessarily need a striker up front. I'm not too sure, but I think we need to basically have cover for Joe O'Brien if he gets injured in the left-back department. I'd love to see someone like Scott Malone again, basically. Uh, he played very well in that type of attacking flair sort of formation as we played under Slava, uh, Slavica. And also, you know, he's only playing, I think he's only starting in about 55% of Derby's lineups at the moment. I'd love to see S- Scott Malone back. But I also agree with Will, a right-back would be good because I do hear that there are some legs when it comes to Cyrus Christie potentially going to Roma. I've heard that it's just it's more than just a rumour. Cyrus Christie to Roma, that is bizarre. Yeah, it, it is it is bizarre. I'm not too sure if it how strong a rumour it is. I mean, people are saying it is actually potentially gonna happen. Uh but if he does go, we certainly need another right back because I'm not too happy with the idea of Stephen Sessignon being the only option. And obviously you've got Dennis Adoy as well, but he can he's a transformer, he can do the left, the right, and centre back. The thing with Italian teams, historically, they've been built on having a good defence. And if there's one thing that Cyrus Christie didn't do well in the top flight in English football last season was defend. Going forward, he's good. And at the Championship, he's an all right player. But I don't know. Cyrus Christie in in the first team at Roma, can't see it myself. But that's what these rumours are about. They're they're there to um, provoke some discussion. So anything else from you, Will, that you spotted? I mean, what, what position would you say we need to strengthen? I think, yeah, I think it's just a right-back position. Like you're saying, um, Stephen Session, I think he's good, but I don't know if he's quite ready yet to be starting every game. And Dennis Adoy, you know, there's it's more kind of appreciation posts have been going around social media about him recently because he is kind of, you know, known as Mr. Fulham. He, he puts in 150% and 
and he's just a fun player to watch. But I don't know if he's to be first choice at right back, and then if if our left back or our centre back gets injured, that's where he usually fills in. I think he's better as a as a filler to come into the team and you know play in everywhere in the defence. And I think, like you're saying, if Christie goes, we definitely do need another right back mm-hmm. replacement. All right, so what I'm hearing from you guys then is Glenn Murray and Diego Jota, or Hotter, however you say it. I remember when we played Birmingham away on the last day of the season when we needed to win that game to get promoted, and obviously we ended up going up anyway, but he tore us to pieces that day. However, he did have the choice of either coming to us or Birmingham at the start of that season, and he did choose Birmingham. So, um, I don't know, part of me thinks, fuck you, mate, but then the other part of me thinks decent player that can definitely do a job at this level and Glenn Murray definitely fuck you mate that's all I've got to say about that one right okay let's um, let's talk about um, Cavalero signing really quickly we touched upon it a moment ago um, you happy with that is he a good player if we do get promoted this season or is he just a very good championship player yeah I think um, he's he's been kind of I think when Wolves went up uh, he was always kind of going to be a bench player, but also pushing for them starting eleven roles and and you know applying pressure to the to the main starting eleven. But I think he could definitely do a job in the Premier League. He scored a fair few goals uh, this season and a few assists, and he's been tearing defenders apart when he's when he's on top form. But he needs to just keep that consistency at the minute. And I think if we do go up, he'd be a good player to keep hold of, definitely. Yeah, good squad player. And J Mac for you. It's a funny one with Cavallaro because, I mean, he's fantastic, fantastic player, I think. And I think he's going to be a real asset to us in this league and in the next if we get promoted this season or the next. But I think what goes unnoticed quite a lot is how slick he is on the ball and his ball control and how how how, how well he holds on to it as well. Um, he makes some wonder goals as well, but he's just a very, very good player for us in our system. And I'm really glad we've got him on board. And he didn't look too out of place when we played Man City. We don't want to talk about that too much, but it, you know, I, I think he's a very good prospect for us getting promoted or making a good, strong case for promotion next season if we don't go up. What about Bobby Reid? Good enough for the Premier League? I don't know, you know, about that one. I'll have to ask, I'll have to see what you guys think as well. But I, I personally, I think Bobby Reed. I mean, his stats are very good in this, at this level in the championship. I'd like to see how he evolves. I mean, he played for Cardiff last season in the Premier League, but, you know, less said about that, the better. I just think, you know, he's not a centre forward and he's been playing there the last few games. So I haven't actually, I don't know. I don't know about Bobby Reed. What, what do you think, Will? Um, I think... I think again, like we're kind of saying with Cavalero, he's he's a bit of a squad player. I'd be happy to keep him in the squad if he's happy to stay here and and stay stay as part of the squad because he does seem happy at Fulham. But yeah, like you're saying, he's definitely not an out and out striker at this level, let alone at at a Premier League standard. And he's not going to replace Mitrovic anytime soon. But he could definitely push, you know, Kearney, especially in the form Kearney's been in recently. Definitely apply pressure to him, and he's. At Cam, uh, like the you know the attacking midfielder role, he's definitely close to pushing Kenny out of his position because we've seen Bobby Reed play there at certain times of season and he's been great. Whereas Kenny, like especially in the Charleston match, he's he's been dying off a bit. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I think I think he's a squad player, but if we did go up and didn't use him, it wouldn't be one of my greatest worries. 
this is the thing, though, this season. We need to try and keep the squad together, whether we go up or whether we don't, because you, we saw what carnage it caused last time when the squad was quite, completely dismantled and it was a successful squad as well. So either way, I think it's it's a good thing that we signed both of them. But I'd also have a big question mark over whether, whether both of them would start in the Premier League, but they could be in and around the squad for sure. OK, well, one other player that we signed uh, is Terence Congolo off of Saturday's opponent's Huddersfield defender. Uh, can play in central defence or uh, at left-back. He's obviously going to be unavailable because he's on on loan from Huddersfield, so he can't play on Saturday. Um, From what I saw of him at the weekend, I I thought he looked like a decent player. He put in an absolutely fantastic last-ditch tackle. How did you think he did against Man City? I thought, yeah, I thought he was quite good. I mean, you're always going to concede a buck-ton to Man City, aren't you? Especially with Jesus playing up front and... You know, Aguero on the bench and De Bruyne on the bench, even though they didn't come on. The fact that they're playing them on the bench and still scoring that many goals shows how how big of a force they are this season. And it, yeah, like you say, the last ditch tackle that that was great. And if he can keep doing that, he's not he's not going to even need to make those tackles with the the team we've got. They realistically, championship players shouldn't really be getting in that position. But if he can form a partnership with Hector. That that is a solid, you know, two centre backs there, and I definitely think that he could replace, you know, Ream and Mawson, and yeah, him and Hector, I'd love to see play it. Yeah, um, well, J Mac, it was difficult uh, for. I'll do that bit again. Yeah, J Mac, it was difficult circumstances for him to come into on Sunday afternoon, wasn't it? Uh, with Tim Ream being sent off, he's come on as a, a defender to make his debut at Man City with just ten men. Uh, but how did you think he did? All right. Yeah, I thought he looked really solid, and as well alluded to, it's just so he's 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 so tall. <laughs> it's just nice to see a tall centre back standing standing next to another tall player that we have now, Michael Hector. I mean, I know that sounds like a stupid kind of fickle thing to say, but it it, it does make a difference. And I think I was I thought that Congolo was going to come in and actually be left back cover and uh, for Joe Bryan or Joe Bryan was going to go to Watford. But then I did more research realizing that actually he favors the center back position. And I'm very excited now to see what he does in that position, especially after Reem. Well, Reem's only got a one match ban, uh, which means he is actually eligible once again after the Huddersfield game uh, as his Congolo, because he obviously he can't play for his, uh, against his parent club. So, but I, I would like to definitely see Congolo and Hector as the, the future centre-back relationship for our defence, for sure. Great stuff. All right, well, we've still got a couple of days left. We're recording this on Wednesday evening. Um, rate our January transfer window, Will, so far, out of 10. How well do you think we've done in retaining the players that we have done and bringing in Congolo? Yeah, I'd give it a probably a 7 out of 10, to be honest. I think um, it's been a solid window. Um, that's, what, that's really um, as high as you could give it, because... Like you're saying, we've kept hold of a lot of our players. As in, in a way, Mitrovic's injury has kind of helped us because Spurs and Villa, especially Spurs, they were really heavily interested in signing him. Um, obviously, that injury has isn't really long term, but I'm guessing it has put them off a bit. Um, and yes, yeah, so we've done well to hold on to him. And like you're saying, obviously the transfer window isn't over yet. But Joe Bryan was heavily linked with Watford, I think, at one point, and that's kind of died off a bit. Um, uh, yeah, we, we've done well to keep the squad we have because losing players halfway through a season when we're pushing for promotion is probably one of the worst things that could happen. Um, 
and re- getting you know Cavalero's signature and Bobby Reed's is going to help us push for promotion. Whether that is going to help us in the Premier League next season, if we do go up, we'll have to see. Um, and Congolo, so far so good. So that could push up to an eight if Congolo does him does show that he's worth it. Well, let's not forget as well that Michael Hector, uh, that deal was completed at the very start of the window as well, even though we knew that was coming, but he's come in and he's he's changed the team. He's changed the way that we defend and we look much more solid at the back. Jamie, what about you? Quickly out of out of 10 for our, our business so far. I'll give it an eight just for the point you made. It's actually, Hector coming in was like a January signing because that's just when he, he was eligible to play for us. So you've mm-hmm. got Hector, you've got Congolo. If we are able to get another right back, as well as a forward, then I think it could go up to nine. And, and you know, that with the contract extension as well, it's been marvellous. I really would like to see Harrison Reed get a contract, uh, permanent, a permanent yeah. contract signed as well. And then, then I'd say it was a 10, because I just think, like you say, the core of the team needs to be strong and just rectify the mistakes we made last season. Excellent point. All right, well, let's look forward to Saturday's game against Huddersfield, 3pm at Cottage. Um, Stato has done some magnificent work today and he sent, sent us over... A, um, a kind of a stats breakdown of our midfield and who 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 um, who plays together and how we do when they do play together. And our most consistent uh, three in midfield this season has been Tom Kearney, Stefan Johansson, and Harry Arta. That trio. And when those three have played, they've played six times or they started six times together, and they've won four out of those six games. Then it's Kearney, Reed, and Onoma who have played four and won two. Then Kearney, Johansson and Harrison Reed played three and won two. Um, without Kearney, we have, we've won a couple of games, but the, the stats don't really seem to back up what we were saying in the, um, in the Charlton uh, review last week, where we said, well, Kearney goes missing um, when he, you know, I don't notice what, what value he adds, but the stats are there. And all of these... I mean, all of the partnerships, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different partnerships or, you know, trios that he's played in this season. Um, and, you know, he's he's been he's been there or thereabouts all season. The only time he's played and we haven't won when he's played alongside Harrison Reed and Harry Arta and, and Kevin McDonald and Stefan Johansson. Um, so we played three games and, and not won any when when those combinations have been used. It's going to be difficult to predict what we're what we're going to use this weekend, and we'll have a look at that in a minute. But I, I thought those those stats were really interesting. I'm going to come to you guys now. It's it's a difficult one to predict in terms of how we're going to line up because of the personnel that's available. The defence is quite depleted. We're we're not going to have Tim Ream. We're not going to have uh, Terence Congolo. Um, J Mac, I'm going to come to you first. What? How do you see the lineup? How, how do you see it panning out? For our lineup, I can see, I think Mawson's still injured. So I think I could see it being Christie at the right back. I can see it being Michael Hector as the right centre back with maybe a Doy next to him, but I've never seen a Doy be a left centre back before. So that is quite tricky, but we'll see. And on the left back, you'll have Joe Bryan. I would stick, I'd really like to see Kevin McDonald for this game. For sure, I think he would be perfect for this sort of match. So I'd like to see Kevin McDonald. I'd like to see Bobby Reed and Steph Joe, I think. But then if Harry Artis fit, maybe a bit of that as well, because I think he'd be perfect for this type of game also. And for the front three, I think if AK-47 is around, then Kamara up front with Cavalero on the left 
and maybe Bobby Reed on the right, actually. And then we could possibly have an extra leg in the midfield and put Harry Arter in there. Something like that, I think. But 4-3-3 would be my preferred formation for this. Okay. Um, Stato also said earlier, there's still 24 combinations of midfield that we, we haven't yet used with all the midfielders <laughs> that we've got. So will it be uh, will it be one of the trusted ones or will we see something new? What do you think, Will? Do you think J-Max near enough spot on there? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. I think, um, like you're saying, a doy left centre-back, we'll have to see how that goes if Mawson is still out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's relatively right. I don't really want to see Bobby Reed at striker again, to be honest, because I think he does bring um, movement, but more side-to-side than forwards. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he's a good player, but definitely better in the midfield um and yeah I'd like to see Kamara back up front that would be I think this is a time where we really need him with Mitrovic out that would help us a lot but yeah relatively relatively the same okay good stuff well we mentioned this guy's name a moment ago Stato he sent us over the uh the stats fact file for Huddersfield Jay Mack I'm going to come to you first um talk us through what you got right stat in the hat um well I mean it's the last time we played them. It was under, we nearly, I think it was us who got uh, Jan Seward fired, wasn't it? It was their last manager. I think I pronounced That's that right, terribly, yeah, but never mind. Yeah, we, we're good at that. We're good at firing managers, it seems. But yeah, that was, uh, we won 2 1. It was a way win. It was a bit dodgy. Um, Cavalera goal, which was a weldy and a Mitro header. That was the third game of the season, actually. Um, but yeah, that was Jan Seward's last game. And since then, the Cowley brothers have uh, sort of emerged. And, you know, Really highly rated. I think they were with uh, Lincoln before. Yeah, Lincoln City, that's right. And it's his brother who's the uh, assistant manager. But their, Huddersfield's form under the Cowleys is quite interesting. Since they took over, Huddersfield have lost 8 out of 24 league games. And they have also won 8 out of 24, which means they've drawn 8 out of 24 league games so far. Yeah, that's right. So it, it's interesting. I mean, they've stopped the rot that Huddersfield had since last season. And, you know, they won manager of the month in October by winning three and then drawing two. So the last five games of their form, they've won one, drawn one and lost three. So I think it's a good time to face them for sure. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one with uh, with the Cowley brothers. It's it's quite quirky, isn't it? Having having two brothers as uh, manager and assistant manager. Um, And also it couldn't, the form since, you know, since they took over, Played 24-1-8, drawn 8, lost 8. It's just straight down the middle. So their, their form has been quite consistent. Um, Will, talk us through Huddersfield's key players. Who, who have we got to watch out for this weekend? Um, so Grant, their striker, but who also can play out of the left, has 13 goals and four assists this season. So he's their club's top scorer and he's played all 29 games. Um, Bakuna as well, who I'm a big fan of. Um I think he's quite alive. He's quite an energetic, lively midfielder. He's got five goals and four assists and 26 appearances with eight of them coming off the bench. And when coming off the bench, he's scored three and assisted one. So he's quite good off the bench. Um, but I, I think in Huddersfield's team, he should be starting, to be honest. So Mounier, who I think we were linked with at one point, has four goals this season in 15 appearances. And he did come off the bench uh, who's quite tall as well, so he's got good aerial attempt. Will be testing Hector this weekend. Um, and Schindler, who is the only defender to play all games this season, and again, he's another tall centre-back that averages 1.7 tackles per game 
and 1.2 interceptions per game. And obviously, we don't like to see an injury, but their goalkeeper, who has played all games this season, was stretched off midweek against Hull. He was replaced with backup keeper Coleman, whose only other appearance this season came in the FA Cup. He doesn't have much experience and was signed from Oldham, and he spent last season on loan at Shrewsbury. Okay, cheers, Will. I was just looking at the their their last three results, and they had a, a last minute win away at Hull this week, midweek on Tuesday night. Then they had a nil nil with Brentford, and then they the previous match before that they lost two one at Barnsley. So, in keeping with their form, they had one win, one draw, and one defeat in their last three games. So, um, they're they're very very consistent at, at doing that by the looks of it. Um, how did we get on last time when when we played at, at Huddersfield? We had 65% possession, which is quite a standard figure for us these days. 89% pass succession, 17 shots and eight on target, um, which is pretty good, actually. It's, um, you know, we've played so many times this season where we thought if only we, we had a few more shots and uh, a few more shots on target. But eight on target for, for an away game at that stage of the season, I think we all thought mm, we're onto something here. We Fulham were above average in all of our key stats. And when I say average, I mean our average for the season. It, so we were above average in all, all those statistics away at Huddersfield. We completed 669 passes compared to Huddersfield's 351. We still managed to concede, though, from a free header. And that was that one where everybody kind of argued whether Bettinelli could have done better or not. I think at the time I gave him the benefit of the doubt in my own mind, but then he just kept making cock-up after cock-up and cost us points. And, you know, he, he was rightly replaced by um, one, of the, one of the best goalkeepers in the division, for my money at the moment, Marit Rodak. Um, the defence that, that evening was Stephen Sessegnon. don't think we can call it his debut, but it was certainly his, his first championship start. Um, Mawson and Ream played at centre-half and Joe Bryan was at left-back. That combination of defence has won four out of the six games it's played this season. Uh, but as we discussed earlier on, much has changed and Team Reeves suspended, Alfie Morrison's injured and Stephen Sessegnon's just out of favour at the moment. So um, although he has he, he was injured for a while and I think he'll, he'll be back on the bench. So um, he's likely to feature, I guess, at some point. Um, our midfield that day was the, the trusty Harry Arthur, Stefan Johansson and Tom Kearney. That's our... Uh, our most effective midfield this season, as, as I previously mentioned. Um, Knockart, Mitrovic and Cavalero were our strikers. Of course, Mitrovic and Cavalero scored, as you said earlier, J-Mac. Um, these three have contributed collectively to 64% of our goals this season, which I think is part, part of the problem. I've, I've mentioned it before, but I, I think the most successful teams um, and those, those teams that go up share their goals out more. And I'd like to see us score more from midfield and more from defence. However, um, those, those three have been fairly prolific. None more so than Mitro, who's responsible solely for 43% of the amount of goals we scored this season. So we, we are missing him. But, all right, we, we got thrashed at Man City. Who cares about that? Uh, we didn't score at Charlton. Um, but the game before that, which was the Middlesbrough game, which which he was missing for, we we did win that one one nil. Um, so you know our, our form hasn't really gone out the window since he's come in. Although that Charlton game was fucking boring. Um, <clears throat> don't know if Knockart or Cabano will be fit, or actually if Mitrovic will be fit because I saw a picture of him the other day um, sat on an exercise bike and he he looked like he was doing okay. Who knows how far off match fitness he is? But as you said, J Mac uh, AK forty seven Kamara. 
looks to be back. So whether he'll be put straight back into the team or whether he'll just be integrated gradually off the bench, then who knows? Right. Well, <clears throat> that's the stats over and done with. I'm going to come to you guys now for a score prediction. Um, J-Mac, let's come to you first. I just am so scared about this one. Just because, I mean... You always we are! Were... <laughs> I know. Every but, game. You know, every game. Every game. I always text it in the WhatsApp group saying we're about to lose this. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, even if we're winning 3-0 or something. Yeah. It's like we're... Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm worried really someone's coming on. Yes. <laughs> we were watching... Um, we weren't watching. Well, all of some of us were watching all the uh, the scores the other night of you know Leeds coming back against Millwall, uh, West Brom losing against Cardiff, uh, and Nottingham Forest being in Brentford. And you know, it, it's amazing how the table is now changing. What a difference like a month and a half makes. But yeah. I, I've I've got to say I, I I'm I'm not actually worried. I think it's going to be two nil. But I just you know after the Charlton game, you can understand why my my spidey senses are sort of not so positive for this one. Yeah. Yeah, but we weren't watching those games. I remember Matt Dom said this is now an awful set of results after um, after Leeds took the lead. But yeah. if you if you look at those results and say, well, <clears throat> if Leeds are going to win but West Brom will lose and Brentford are going to lose to Forest, would you have taken it before the game? I probably would. Yeah, it's not totally. as one of those top two. It's not as yeah, one of those yeah. top two teams keeps losing every week. Who cares? As exactly. long as we keep winning, we're, we're going to catch somebody. And I'm not fussed either about Nottingham Forest taking our third place at the moment because I think if Forest, and they are looking, their form is insane at the moment. But if Forest, as long as there is one team putting pressure on the top two, then they will start to feel it and start to crumble. So I'm, I didn't mind Forest being Brentford. I mean, of course not, it's Brentford. But I didn't, you know, some people wanted a draw from that. I think the more pressure on the top two, the better because, you know, that's failing what we capitalised to do against Charlton. So that's good news, good news. It's far too early to worry about somebody jumping above us into third position anyway, especially on a night when we're not even playing. But I'm going off piece a little bit here, but just looking ahead a month or so, these are the mm-hmm. matches which will really define our season. We've got Wednesday the 26th of February, um, Swansea at home. Then we've got Saturday the 29th of February, Preston at home. Saturday the 7th of March, Bristol City away. Yeah. Saturday the 14th of March, Brentford at home. Wednesday Ooh. the 18th of March, Leeds away. Saturday the 21st of March, QPR away. That little run of games there is horrible. But if we come yeah, out of that with, without too many too many um, <laughs> defeats, then we'll be well in the mix. I hope you so. Don't worry it? about it at the moment. Mm. We just got to keep just got to keep chugging along at the moment and just keep ourselves within touching distance. But those are the games because we're playing all those teams around us. Plus, you've got the the London derby against QPR. In actual fact, we've got um, the Brentford game then Leeds away, then QPR away. So we've got two West London derbies in a week, two Saturdays in a row, Brentford and QPR. Oh, so it's that, that it's a pretty torrid run, um, you know, in the context of, of this season and, and in the division we're in. So it's um, that, that, that they're the games for me that are really going to make or break us this season and define whether or not we're going to go up automatically or whether we're going to be in the playoffs. thousand percent, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, well, what do you think this weekend? Um... I think 2-0 is actually a good shout. Um, I, I Personally, I think it could just be 1-0. Um, we're missing Mitrovic, right? Well, most likely missing Mitrovic. And he he is, like I said on the Charlton review, he is just a, an out-and-out goal scorer and he's exactly what we need. Um, I don't think we'll score that many. Um, another player I was going to say, actually, is Richard Stearman. He's, uh, he's in the Huddersfield defence now. 
And I think, judging by what people have said on Twitter, you know, I've seen a few things that people have liked and looked at the comments. The Huddersfield fans are absolutely loving him at the minute. He did score an own goal, uh, I think, but he made up for it at, in the game, all the fans were saying. So he seems to be on good form right now. So I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to go for 1 0. Yeah, lo- oh, loads wow. of loads loads of ex-Fulham players scored that day. Actually, you got Richard Stearman scoring an own goal. You had M- Matty Target scoring a goal for Aston Villa, and you also had um, uh, Sean uh, Hutchinson. Hutchinson for Mill was like the ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defenders pass. Yeah, it was madness. Anyway, sorry. Well, one thing I will say um, since since Michael Hector's come in is obviously he's steadied the defence, but that shows in the results as well because we've had we've had three clean sheets in a row uh, with the one 0 win against Hull, then one 0 against Middlesbrough. And then the the nil nil against Charlton. Um, I was going to say we're going to win this one two nil, and I think we we will keep another clean sheet, even though the defence is going to be changed around a little bit. Um, and I was going to say two nil until you reminded me that Richard Stearman was playing, but now I think it's going to be four nil because I thought he was shocking for us, and I think we're tearing <laughs> to pieces. Doesn't doesn't matter who's playing, we're we're going to hammer them. And um, and if we don't, then don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, hello. Tony Khan has appointed Javier Pereira as assistant director of football operations with immediate effect. Oh, this shit. Javier Pereira. That's, that's Sla- mad. Slavisa's Slavisa's assistant. Oh, what? I think I I, that's what people are saying in the comments. It is. No, no, it's oh, true. I'm going to have to search him up. I'm going to no, have to it... search him up. And I've just searched it up. And yeah, he was with. He was with Fulham when Slav was there. So, you know, it looks like he wants to, um, it looks like he wants some more action in the transfer market and hopefully someone that can help Tony Khan actually help with the football side of the club rather than just the, the finance side. That's really interesting because he's the sort of man who will know the style that we're trying to play. So he'd be in a much better position to identify the sort of players that can implement that style. It even says here, I've just got the website up, uh, the Fulham website. We share the same vision for Fulham and the same philosophy of football and we'll work together to apply that shared vision uh, to deliver success. That's what Tony Khan said. So he seems to have learned his lesson from, um, you know, the same philosophy of football, he said then, which obviously Claudio Ranieri was never going to bring um, from from his defensive nature. So that's, that's, that's I think that's really good. Um, Herrera added, I was delighted to be asked to return. Really enjoyed my time here. Have some great memories of our promotion winning season. Hope we can achieve the success of the chairman team and, of course, the fans. That's great. Well, there we go then. That's a sign that we weren't expecting. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, great news to finish the pod with. Fulham.